Hi, uh, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Hosting as always, my name's Dan and I'm joined this afternoon by Paul. Good afternoon, Dan. And Khan is on international duty. It's just me and Paul again this week. Uh, clearly he's not, not done with his uh, with the Count Bin Faces campaign. There must have been a recount. Yeah, although he probably got more than that Gammon's character. Yeah, yeah, more than you can. Yeah, certainly so. Um, just want to start the, the episode with a correction, Paul, which has been given to me by the uh, the right honourable lady, the member for the University of Bolton Stadium. Um, the playoff final between Charlton and Sunderland was not 1999, because the 1999 final was Bolton against Watford. Ah, I remember that final as well. 2 nil was that, Watford. It, it, it was, yeah. Um, the final we were that was Graham of... Taylor, wasn't it? Graham Taylor was a Watford manager. Yeah, was yeah, Colin yeah. Todd the Bolton manager, am I right, era? Uh, I think he might well have been, because he went back, didn't he? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, I remember that game as well. Uh, Nick, a guy named Nick Wright scored the opener for, for Watford, a volley over his shoulder. Great goal. Um, a half cleared, it was either a corner or a wide free kick that was half cleared, and it came out, and Nick Wright did one of those sort of one motion over his shoulder looping volleys, and it was a terrific goal. I think that was the opening goal. Um, I remember that game. So it must have been 98, must it? The, uh, the 98 playoff final was, was Charlton Sunderland. Uh, it was 1998, yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, they are the days when I can remember all the playoff finals pretty much, you know, clearly. Uh, recent years, I'm a little bit hazier. I remember the, remember the one that Harry won with QPR where they got battered by Derby and then broke away in the last minute and Bobby Zamora scored. One, one I, I remember rem- what year it was. I remember David Hopkin doing that to uh, Sheffield United in the... I think it was a 90-second minute he curled one in. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. getting myself bedded down for extra time and then David Hopkin... Uh, curled one into the top corner, and that was that. That would have been nineties as well, though, wouldn't it? Or early noughties, at least. I think that might have been nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah. But I don't yeah. want to reissue any more corrections, <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to stop guessing. I can confirm a quick Google though does confirm that Colin Todd was the Bolton manager in that game. So the um, the honourable lady, the member for uh, the University of Bolton Stadium, needn't trouble me with that one. <laughs> If we um, start on our actual topic, Paul, one thing that we like to, to talk about a lot on this podcast is TV deals, not because, mm. uh, not just because we find it uh, interesting, because it is an interesting topic, it's also very important to the way football finances are working at the moment. Um, we kind of, th- this has been reported for a few weeks, but the, the, the long and short of it is the current TV deal has been rolled over for three years with approval from the government. Um so it's basically status quo. I think that all parties will be happy with that. The clubs won't lose any money because this TV deal would have almost certainly been another dip due yeah. to COVID. And the TV companies are happy because disruptors like Amazon, perhaps Netflix, perhaps Facebook, haven't come in and, and launched significant packages which bumped the price up. So I would say that everyone's probably happy with this deal. Yeah, I think that's right, Dan. We talked about it, if you remember, early in the season, and people can find our, our old podcasts on the various um, on the various outlets that they get their podcasts from. But but we did a, a couple of discussions early in the year when there was talk about you know when the games were going to be televised while there were still no fans in stadium and the whole pay per view thing that went a bit disastrously wrong. And why did the Premier League insist you know or, or why were the you know the Premier League and the clubs trying to trying to push for that? And, and we talked about it, it being really because 
this autumn in a normal uh, cycle would have been the time when they'd have done the next three-year TV deal um, for the Premier League. And the auction would have been this autumn and the event this past autumn and they've announced a decision in, in January or, or February time. Um, and obviously that's not happened. Uh, and the reason that's not happened is because uh, it's in no one's interest to do an auction at this moment in time. Um, and there are a few reasons for that and, and we can talk through them. The first, as you've already mentioned, Dan, is in value per game, there was a dip in value from the last TV rights deal. It went down about 10%. Now, the, the, the bold number, uh, as Spurs go 2-0 up, the bold number actually went up um, because they, they made more packages available. So essentially, the way that the Premier League kept the revenue up in the last deal was just by saying, well, you can have more product. Um, but the price per unit had dropped about 10%. Now, the conservative estimates were that there was going to be at least a 10% per, per unit price drop again in this, in this round of negotiations. Um, I think that clearly for Premier, the Premier League and the Premier League clubs at a time when there's significant financial uncertainty, we've seeing what's happened at clubs with redundancies over the course of the year with, um, you know, transfer budgets not being what they have been in the past, the, the pandemic having had a huge effect, no fans in the stadium for, you know, what we, we haven't had stands properly, you know, full football stadiums now for, for 14, 15 months. It was great to see the people at Wembley yesterday and we'll get onto that later. Um, but we haven't had full stadia for 14, 15 months. Clubs are struggling. They need that certainty of knowing that their income is not going to change. So I think from the club's perspective and the Premier League's perspective, it's a bit of a bo- uh, bullet dodged in terms of you know that 10% unit cost n- not, not coming to pass. Now, could the Premier League have found another way of uh, mitigating that by just doing the same as they did last time and making more product available? That was one of the options, I think. When you look at the relative success that the Premier League's had with, with broadcasting games spread right across the weekend that, that we've got used to in the COVID world, where no two games kick off at the same time, other than obviously next weekend when it's a, the, the last weekend of the season. But, but you know, most weeks games have been available Um you know, spread throughout the weekend. They could have gone to that as their status quo. And we talked about that as one of the options when we had that conversation earlier in the season. But I think potentially the, the risk with that is that in itself, just offering more and more product uh, would have driven the price per unit down further. And I think the Premier League was very wary about that. Part of the reason that Premier League football is so expensive for broadcasters is because you know, there's, there's a finite amount of it available. So the supply and demand economics kicks in. When you make every single game available, inevitably, you are going to have some impact on your unit cost. And, and we talked about that earlier in the season. And I think it's played a part in why this negotiation has gone down the way it's gone. Um, so, so that's why I think from the club's perspective and the Premier League's perspective, it makes sense. From the broadcaster's perspective, um, Sky and BT have basically said we're not competing anymore. They now have this, you know, deal that, that allows for the services to be carried on one of those platforms, which if you go back to 2015, 2016, when that rights package was being negotiated, that was a major point of contention. Unthinkable. Uh, they, yeah, it, it, they, were, they were absolutely against that as an idea. 
BT at that stage was still playing the disruptor role in the market. Um, now BT is part of the establishment. BT actually do get a little um, tasty morsel out of this deal, which is that for any Saturday lunchtime, which is their main package, for any Saturday lunchtime games um, where the, one of the clubs involved has played in, in the Champions League in the week obviously if they played in the Europa League it'll be on a Sunday anyway but if they've got a, a, a Saturday lunchtime kickoff but one of the teams involved plays in the Champions League on a Wednesday they can move that lunchtime slot to the second Saturday evening slot that we've got used to during Covid the the 7.30 slot or whatever it might be 8 o'clock slot sure. um, which which gives BT a primetime Saturday night audience that they, they don't ordinarily have at lunchtime so so BT get a little bit of a, an improvement to their terms in this deal. Shall shall we call that the Jurgen Klopp Des Kelly game? Yeah, yeah, it's that it's that slot, Dan, and and I think that's the kind of um, the uh, the sort of benefit for BT of this. The benefit for Sky is that they don't get pushed. Um, obviously, Sky are under new ownership; they're under the, the Comcast brand now. It's not the the traditional Murdoch view of the world. That there is no guarantee, Dan, that Sky continues to build its model around Premier League football in the long term. I think it will continue to in the short term and the medium term. Um, but if you think about the way our TV habits are now, uh, there are other ways to drive subscriptions that don't depend on Premier League football. And you might see Sky change its model um, in future years away from being huge reliance on paying massive amounts of money for the Premier League. So I think it gives Sky some some breathing space to work out what their future um, subscription plan is. Um, and for, for Amazon Prime, who, who were the additional player in the market last time, and they ended up getting that package for less than, than the Premier League originally wanted for it, because they played a bit of a game of chicken with the Premier League and said, we're not bidding against anyone. You want us to bid against ourselves and we're not going to do that. We're Amazon. We're one of the few organizations in the world that's bigger than the Premier League um, <laughs> and we can play you at your own game. For Amazon, it gives them another three-year period to continue to refine their offering, to continue to test their um, their concept, to continue to work on the way that they engage uh, with the Premier League. Um and long term, I, I think it will be beneficial for them as well in, in terms of working out how they go from small rights holder to being the big fish in the pond uh, in three years' time, if that is, in fact, what they decide to do. So it works from both of those perspectives. It works from the government's perspective as well, which is why they've waved it through, because it comes with an increased amount of uh parachute payment down the system so there will be increased money from this tv deal compared to this exact tv deal that was done three years ago a greater percentage will be filtered down the divisions uh to clubs lower down the football pyramid and i think that was one of the key things that the government was keen to think about in terms of making sure that football was financially viable for the long term post-pandemic and we again we've talked haven't we before dan about how difficult it's been for for League One and League Two clubs to survive with no attendances because that is by far their biggest um, income stream. So I think it works for everybody, this solution. Um, and so it's a sensible and pragmatic uh, interim position that we've got to. But all we've done, I think, in terms of the, the difficult conversation about the future of 
finances related to broadcast rights and football is I think we've kicked the can down the road three years. And I think there will come a reckoning point when we might have to look again at whether, you know, this endless uh, inflation of the market that we seem to have had since sort of the early noughties, whether that's going to be sustainable in the long term or whether actually there is a bit more of a stabilizing effect that's going to come. Um, but we've put that conversation off for three years. And so I think it's good news for everybody involved at this stage. It's also good news for fans that there's no fourth player in the market. I think one of my concerns was that uh, Sky and BT weren't going to compete with one another. Amazon weren't going to increase their um, offer compared to what it was last time. And so you'd have this situation where the Premier League and now try and get a fourth broadcaster on board. Obviously, it's got the BT for the high, uh, BBC, sorry for the highlights package. Doesn't, um, but but whether yeah, exactly. There was there's this dozen organisation that as a streaming service that apparently has complained that it was going to bid and has now been cut out. The idea that football fans would need four different subscriptions to be able to watch the Premier League um, was a concern, I think, for me. So. There's lots of people who win a little bit out of this deal, uh, but there is still a reckoning coming. We've just pushed it down the road. Yeah, uh, we've pushed a meaningful vote back three years. Indeed, yeah. yeah um, Hopefully we don't need to have three or four goes at the meaningful vote, though. <laughs> yeah, just change an apostrophe here or a comma there. Um, I think the, the, the one, one point of interest that I want to pick up on, because uh, Warren Allsworth, we, we know you're a regular... Um, Listener Warren, and I know you, you regularly complain about the amount of parachute payments that um, team coming down to the championship get. Um, so I, I don't think Warren will welcome that news particularly. No, and and I, I, I haven't looked at the detail enough, Dan, to know whether it's it's all about the parachute payments. I think it's more about filtering money down the league. Now, I imagine some of that will will probably have a slight increase on the existing parachute payments for teams who get relegated. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really good dilemma. It's a question to answer that. The, the reason parachute payments went up significantly in the, in the noughties, which is when they saw the big increase, is because of um, the situations that we saw in the late 90s, early noughties, where the Bradford Cities of this world and the Sheffield Wednesdays and the Leeds Uniteds went down from the Premier League to the Championship with budgets they simply couldn't afford and went down again and took three or four years to dig themselves out of the hole they were in from Premier League contracts. Now, there is a school of thought that says, well, so what? Tough. If you've over-leveraged yourself and you get relegated, tough luck. But I think what the Premier League was trying to do was make it a little bit easier for clubs to just get their feet back under them when they get relegated. Now, I think you can argue, and we've touched on recent weeks, the fact that, you know, two Premier League relegated teams last year have come first and second in the Championship, Bournemouth are in the playoffs. Has it gone a bit too far the other way, potentially, where the parachute payments are now such an advantage to relegated clubs? We could almost do a, a whole podcast talking about that um, as a concept because it, it is contentious. Um, but I think it's more this, this deal is more about just filtering money as a standard down to the lower leagues. Um, solidarity payments is probably the right word rather than, than parachute payments. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It was just uh, more of a chance to, to have some fun at Warren's expense. Um, he's a, a big fan of the parachute payments made to Premier League teams. Warren um, is a, a Nottingham Forest fan. Um, 
speaking of the the, the Midlands area, um, you've got to give an awful lot of credit to Leicester City for the way that they won the FA Cup yesterday. It wasn't a great game. Um, it was settled by a, an outstanding goal. Um, if we're picking holes, I think a better and taller goalkeeper might do better, but uh, he didn't. It was a terrific finish from Tillmans. Are Leicester kind of making a move to be in this um, so-called big six? Not that they have any intentions of a, a Super League <laughs> aspirations because nobody has them anymore apart from Juventus and Barcelona and Real Madrid. Real Madrid, yeah. yeah who simply will not let go. But um, <laughs> They're going to be in it even if it doesn't exist, Dan. Yeah, they'll just play each other ten times a season. It, it, it will feel um, like Liverpool and Chelsea games used to when it's... Yeah. Carling Cup semi-finals and European Cup semi-finals, or the Scottish Premier League, as it's also called. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I think it's a it's a really really good point. I mean, first of all, congratulations to Leicester. Uh, they, um, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit loath to say they were deserved winners because I think they had one shot on target, but but they certainly look they. Tillemans was the best player on the pitch. He scored a sensational goal. They took their opportunity. I think Chelsea just never did enough for all the territory and all the possession they had, especially in that first half, because I didn't feel Leicester looked comfortable in the first half. I thought the system looked difficult for them. Uh, Chelsea were pulling Sunchai in particular out of the out of the middle and into those sort of fullback areas, and he's a big unit to be in those fullback areas, and he didn't look particularly comfortable. But I think Leicester got themselves together at half-time. They did look better in that first first period of the second half. They played a bit more on the front foot. They were able to squeeze the game a little bit without the worry of, of Chelsea exploiting them in the channels. Um, and they got a fantastic goal with, with their sort of one um, one big opportunity, if you like. I mean, it wasn't even really an opportunity, was it? It was a, a pot shot from 25 yards that, that flew into the top corner. Um, question, was it handball? Probably, but uh, you know the rules are such now that I think I think it was probably right not to give it. Um, and VAR didn't have a long look, did it? So they were obviously relatively happy quite quickly. Um, I think also I'd have question marks about Jorginho because if you see when the ball then breaks to Tillemans, he, he Jorginho has an opportunity to bust a gut to get across to close him down, and instead he does what Jorginho always does, which is pass the book and point at Thiago Silva and say, you go and do it. Um, and I think, you know, it's not been a great week for Jorginho after his incident against Arsenal earlier in the week, uh, but it was a typical kind of Jorginho book pass to me, which is why, as talented a footballer as he is, I just can't have him, because he just doesn't do the, the meat and potatoes that you have to do playing central midfield in English football. Um and then Chelsea huffed and puffed without ever really looking like they were going to blow the house down. Casper Schmeichel made two saves. I thought it was a good save from the header, but I'd expect him to save that. I thought the save from the Mason Mount effort was was world-class. Um, that was hit so hard from, what, 10, 11, 12 yards away? With bodies in the way. With bodies in the way, so he can't move late. Um and, and he got an, an outstanding spring because he didn't have time to take a step. So he had to spring from a standing start. He got an outstanding spring and such a strong hand. Um, I thought that was an absolutely top-class save. And when Mount hit it, I think he probably thought that was 1-1. And then, obviously, there was the equaliser that never was. And, uh, you know, we can cry and we have cried about VAR at times this season, but that's exactly what VAR should do. That was the FA Cup final, a team who winning 1-0 with three or four minutes to go. 
hanging on valiantly, defending, throwing bodies in the way of the ball. And Chelsea score a goal that is offside. It's not miles off, but, but, it's it wasn't one of the, but it wasn't one of these ones where we needed the protractor. It was clear when you looked at it across the line, he was half a yard offside and VAR intervened and Leicester won the cup. And it should work like that. It, that was a goal that was clear when she stopped it and looked across the line with the human eye that the guy was Chilwell was just in front of uh, the, the Leicester defence and, and hence um, it was rightly disallowed and, and I think that killed Chelsea the, the sort of couple of minutes of normal time and the five minutes of injury time that were left Chelsea then played with their you know their chins on their chests they were done at that point uh, and yeah it, it's it's obviously another trophy for Leicester after the Premier League winner a few years ago. It's it's the first trophy in English football for Brendan Rodgers, at, you know, certainly at the top level anyway. Um, I think he might have won a playoff, didn't he, with Swansea? But, but it's the first proper proper major trophy for, for him. Um, it caps a, a good spell that he's had since he took the Leicester job. I think they've still got an awfully big week ahead of them because... As much as winning the FA Cup for Leicester is amazing, and I'm a big believer in footballs about winning trophies, and you can't take days like that from, away from the, the Leicester fans that were there. Financially and prestige-wise, Tuesday's almost a bigger game. You know, they have to not lose at, at Chelsea on Tuesday to make the Champions League, um, unless something strange happens today with Liverpool. Um, well, no Diogo Yota today, so those ones over the rest of the season, apparently, so... Oh, that is a blow. That is a blow because I thought he was really good the other night. Um, but yeah, I you know it's a huge week for for Leicester. They'll have to kind of get their focus back on the on the league quite quickly. But great moment for them yesterday and for their fans. First ever FA Cup win for a, a, you know a relatively big club like Leicester. Or are they becoming one of the big six? I think there's no doubt, Dan, that they're one of the top six teams in English football at this moment in time. They finished fifth last year. They'll finish at worst fifth this year. They've won the FA Cup. It's very hard to argue they're not among the five best teams in the in the Premier League. Um, you know, they don't have that same weight of history that the, the traditional big six clubs have. Um, but yeah, they, they are making a push to at least make that group be considered a seven now. I think you don't start the season anymore, and obviously we'll we'll do a podcast before next year, but we don't start the season anymore saying, well, we know the top six are, let's just talk about the order, because I think Leicester are now legitimately in that conversation. So uh, they've done a fantastic job. They've run the club really well over recent years, made some excellent decisions in the transfer market. You saw it again yesterday. Tillemans, um, you know, uh, the, the centre-half for Farner, I thought, was outstanding. Um, and Didi had another good game for him in midfield. So, you know, Kasper Schmeichel, I don't know how much they paid for him, but he must be one of the bargains of all time. Uh, they've just made some really, really good decisions as a club and, and they're reaping the benefits. Disruptors, Paul. Leicester or Amazon. <laughs> they are, don't have the same just... budget as Amazon, admittedly. But... No, and that'll be one of the interesting things to see, Dan, especially if they do make the Champions League. How much can they go and put some depth in this squad? Because I feel like in the league the last two years, they've been in and around the title race at Christmas, but they haven't had the depth of the squad to keep that going in the second half of the season. And I, and I wonder if they make the Champions League, can they go and add the right four or five guys to that squad who who make it easier for them to rotate when they've got two games a week. Apologies if anyone can hear a strange scraping noise in the background. 
um, my microphone's quite sensitive and my two tortoises, Richie and Eddie, have woken up and started scraping around quite loudly. It's almost, they did this last week, cause, well, the last time we did the podcast as well, it's almost like they can like sense the excitement. <laughs> Which is not something you can really associate reptiles with, to be honest. Uh... Or maybe you've got two tortoises with big left hands, Dan. <laughs> well, as as you know, I'm uh, I've really enjoyed the the whole underdog thing. I'm I'm sure you're uh, well well aware of how much I like the, the story of the underdog, Paul. Not yeah, yeah, you're not a big fan of underdog. I mean, nor am I particularly, and and that's why a little bit I have a problem with the people. Oh, look at Lefty yesterday, brilliant performance, and I think well, they had one shot on goal. I mean, to to an extent, it was a bit of a smash and grab. I don't think Chelsea can have any complaints because they had enough of the ball and enough territory and didn't do enough with it. So. You know, not shedding any tears for, for Chelsea at all, Dan. But equally, this kind of, oh, what a deserved win for Leicester. I find a little bit rich for my tastes because um, they have one meaningful attack. But, you know, uh, we, we know football is what it is. I thought second half Leicester's shape looked better. Um, so, again, credit to Rodgers and his staff because I think they did tweak a few things at halftime. Um, and, and Chelsea found it harder to exploit that space in the channels in the second half. I mean... Partly, I will come on to Chelsea in a second, but I just don't understand what Timo Werner does other than that one thing where he spins off the centre half, runs into the channel, and then tries to win a corner. <laughs> well, and, well, that's it. He doesn't. He, he, he thinks Alan Shearer. He, he sticks that backside out and inevitably gets dispossessed. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think in the first half he he was getting into dangerous. Um, positions without really any final product. And then the second half, the way Leicester slightly restructured and just took those channel balls away, they just held their wing back thin a little bit more. Um, uh, and they took that option away from Chelsea. And Chelsea kind of had no other plan B, really. Um, and and to, so to come on to Chelsea, I think it was a really disappointing performance from them after a disappointing performance against Arsenal earlier in the week. They, over the two games, they had a lot of territory, a lot of possession in an advanced area of the pitch um, without really creating lots and lots of chances. And I do think to the extent that, that Tuchel has obviously made them more sound defensively than they were under Lampard, Lampard's Chelsea were kind of exciting. Like, flawed probably fatally flawed, to be honest, but they scored loads of goals and created loads of chances. And, yeah, that, that's not the Chelsea we've seen this week. And in a big final yesterday, they were they were disappointing. Yeah, um, I, I, I think it, it's, it's going to be a big task for Tuchel to kind of regroup now because I'm not saying that they would have expected because that's not how top teams work, but they would have gone into that game against Leicester thinking, I fancy our chances here. And they've lost that now. And they now need to kind of get back to the drawing board and Manchester City are a completely different proposition altogether. They do have the beating the City. They've proven that a couple of times this season already. So, you know, like, where, where the Chelsea go from here? They, they need to regroup after that game. They've got a big game against Leicester on Tuesday. Um, I still think Chelsea and Leicester get in the top four. I don't see Liverpool winning all the remaining games. And But if, if let's just say Liverpool do... And Leicester get a better result than Chelsea on um, Tuesday, which a draw would be for Leicester if I'm, yeah. if I'm right. Um, yeah, you are. Then you know, like they could be going into that game against Man City needing it's basically a shootout to get into the top, into the Champions League. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be an all-or-nothing game for Chelsea. Whereas the ideal for Chelsea, I think, is for it to be a game that's just about winning a trophy. Because that takes all the pressure off. If you think back to when they, they smashed Arsenal in that Europa League final a couple of, couple of years ago, was it 4-0 or 4-1? I try and forget that game if I can. Um but- but but that was a game where that was an all or nothing game for Arsenal. That was their one route into the Champions League the next year. For Chelsea, they were already in through the league and it was a pressure off just go win a trophy game. And I think it showed in the performance. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Man City in that final because this is the culmination of everything. It'd be fantastic for Chelsea to go into that game where the pressure's off. They're the underdogs. It's a free swing. Just go and play. They're not in that position if they need to win to get into next season's Champions League. Yeah, it's there's a lot on, on and Chelsea, Chelsea, with the amount of money that Chelsea can't spend. Yes, they can't afford to be out of the Champions League, but they can't afford to be out of the Champions League. No, it, it's it's not just the the pounds and pence, Dan. Although obviously that matters, we all know it's it's everything else that comes out of it. Your club had a, had a number of years out. My club at the moment having a number of years out. It, it affects the players you can attract. It affects everything. Not to say that you know Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea aren't still going to attract top footballers because they are. English clubs play, pay great money, and they you know they've got that history and that prestige and that name behind them. Global um, image as well. Global image, all those things. So so don't don't you know Chelsea aren't needing to buy players from Luton Town if they don't make the Champions League. No offense <laughs> to Luton. Um, but but at the same time, it will have a knock-on effect, and we've seen that over the years. So, yeah, for them, um, yesterday was really disappointing. I thought they picked the wrong team. Certainly the front three I thought was wrong. You'll have to explain to me how Olivier Giroud only got 10 minutes because I'd thought i have brought him on at half-time. It was that obvious to me that he should have come on. Um, I know I'm a bit of an Olivier Giroud homer, but um, as far as I'm concerned, he, sh- he should have been on the field much, much sooner. I thought Pulisic should have been on the field straight after half-time as well. Um, I thought Zayic might as well have sat and watched it with me and had the lovely uh, pepperoni pizza that I was enjoying because he, he moved like a man who'd already had a pepperoni pizza inside him. Um, I thought Mount did okay, but but otherwise Chelsea as an attacking force were, were really disappointing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, Paul. I'm sure um, Kazenga Luar-Luar fancies a move to Chelsea. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a big week for Chelsea. I mean, I think no no matter what happens, they'll be there or thereabouts next season again because they've got a manager who understands that if you want to win games, it's better to try and win them two nil rather than four three. Yeah, um, and they've got and they've got good squad of players. There's no doubt about that. And, and and the other thing we'll see next year that Tuchel will benefit from that Frank didn't this year is it will be a second season for the likes of. Um, Havertz, who I think you've seen how many in the last six or seven weeks Havertz has come out of his shell. It will be a second season did, for Werner, did, albeit he has more to prove. Did, did Havertz have long COVID? Because I've read that that's a possibility and it would certainly explain why he's had such a patchy season. Yeah, I, I heard that he'd had some longer-term symptoms. The same as, I, I think I talked last week about Gabriel at Arsenal and, and there's a feeling there that he... You know, it took him a while to get over the effects of it when he had it at Christmas. Sam, so, Sam Maximan as well, he's only recently, yeah. last two or three weeks, sorry, last month or so, looked like the player we well, know he is. Exactly, and we know, you know, Newcastle United with Sam Maximum and, and Callum Wilson are a completely different team to Newcastle United without those two. Um, and we've seen that in their results. But but yeah, I, I agree, Dan, it's, um, that's a possibility with Havertz. I think 
Werner, while it's his second season and I'm certainly not writing him off, he still has a lot to prove to me. Um, as I've said, the moment also seems to do one one thing over and over again, which is spin into the channel, try and win a corner. Um, he, so he, one, need, he needs one for to do a you. lot more. So, sorry, Paul, sorry to interrupt. Um, here's one for you. If Timo Werner had signed for Liverpool, as, as he was expected to do last summer, with a manager who can put his arm around him, he would have had a much better season discuss. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think at Liverpool, he would not have been expected to play through the middle. I think he would have been played mainly as, as one of the outside options. And I think that probably suits him better. I think when Chelsea have got their best performances out of him, it, it's been as that. I'm not sold on him as a, as a number nine. Um, I think Klopp, would have had a better idea of the player he was buying than I think Frank Lampard did. Now, again, let's not get into the who signs the players at Chelsea argument, but but I don't know how much Frank Lampard really had had the chance to fully watch and study Timo Werner and know exactly the type of player he was getting. I think you've seen since Tuchel's come in that, again, having worked in the Bundesliga, having seen presumably more of, of Werner than, than Frank would have done, Tuchel has a better idea of what his skill set is and, and has, has got a bit more out of him. But I just think fundamentally he's been disappointing and he needs he to has. play better. And I think you know the accountability for that is largely on Timo Werner. Uh, I think they need more out of Zayic. I've mentioned I thought he was poor yesterday. I think he's had a very, very disappointing season. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with the goalkeeper situation. I really don't know. Um, I, why is why has Kepa got back in the side? I I, I think the the game on Wednesday when he was stood near the corner flag for that Emil Smith Rowe goal, <laughs> uh, it, it was a bad back pass from Georgina. It was don't a bad back wrong, pass, but, but you were you were right, Dan. You pointed it out to me. You said, "Look how wide he's standing." I'm all for goalkeepers standing wide of the goal for back passes. That's just good practice. But you're right, Kepa. Kepa was almost stood off the pitch. He was that wide. <laughs> he was massively out of position. Um, so, I, you know, I don't really know what's going on there. Whether they, whether Tuchel doesn't fancy Mendy. Personally, I think he's the better of the two from what I've seen. But I don't think he's great either. No, I don't think he's top class. Um, I did at but first, think, but as the season has progressed. I think he's the better too. He's, he, he's more athletic, I think. He, he, he moves his feet better. So, um, there's a question what's going on there. In the... Some of those sec- second season players next season will have had the benefit of time. So with a good squad, they, they need to still sign a centre half for me because I think uh, Thiago Silva has been the best centre half this season. And and not great considering he's like eight to yeah. It's not a surprise because Thiago Silva's class. you know been a world class centre half, and I, I think he was a better player in the Champions League final and his last game for PSG. Um, you know he's wherever he is now. I think he'll be thirty seven just after next season commences. Um, Chelsea need to find a long-term answer at centre-half. But beyond centre-half, you look at the squad, there aren't a lot of massive needs there. They need to decide who the goalkeeper is. They need to uh, sign a a long-term option at centre-half. But beyond those two positions, um, if they're going to give Werner another go as a centre-forward, then there isn't a lot of immediate needs. I suppose you get into the question of what's happening with Giroud. I think he's out of contract. You would expect he would leave. Do they fancy Tammy Abraham? That's not clear. Tuchel uh, definitely doesn't. Tuchel doesn't seem to, does he? So um, I think he's still their top goal scorer, though. 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. Um, speaking of long term, if I remember rightly, didn't Tuchel only sign an eighteen month contract? He did. So he, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, he he is. I mean, I would expect him to get a new contract over the summer because he's done a good job. He's done a good job. He has. Yeah. You know, it's it's irrefutable. Although if it if it all falls apart in the next week and they don't make the top four and they don't win the Champions League, I'm not sure whether Abramovich will give him a new deal. Yeah, well, th- that's that's very true. I mean, you were meant who buys the uh, the players at Chelsea? I just had that old Harry Enfield, uh, sorry Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse sketch with Abramovich. I I buy it. I am Billy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe Roman Abramovich might say no, no, thank you. But I, I I can't see any situation where Chelsea don't qualify if one of the two um, teams in blue who were chasing. The top four don't get in. I think it will be Leicester, but I, I don't. I think agree. That, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I think Liverpool are done. I um, think some, some I, will, will, will mess up. I think Liverpool will win the game, so I think it is going to come down to that Leicester Chelsea game. I think Chelsea will will be so fired up after after Saturday. I expect to beat Leicester by a couple of goals on Tuesday night. That um, that, that could happen. And Spurs for Leicester on the last day of the season might give Liverpool a draw somewhere. But yeah, I, I I I don't I don't see it. I I, I don't see Liverpool winning the next three games. We've not. The Spurs we've not are still it. likely to be competing for something, aren't they? Even if it's only to make sure they're definitely in the Europa League. Well, well, I think a lot of teams are competing for one thing at the moment: get out of the GM Vauxhall <laughs> Conference Europa League. Um, you know, I think Spurs are level on points now after after that win today. It's just finishing as I'm watching. Um. So I, th- I think Spurs will still need something on the final day of the season regardless uh, to make sure that they're definitely in. So, yeah, Leicester are vulnerable if, if they don't win either of their two games, I suppose. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I think for Chelsea, though, that they, Tuchel's done a great job. He needs to try and come away with something from the next week, whether that's well, the next two weeks, whether that's a Champions League place from the top four, or whether it's a Champions League place and a trophy by by winning the the competition um, itself in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, if he doesn't, then I think, it, yeah, it's not the end of the road for Chelsea. They're still going to be round and about it next year. They should be better next year with those players having settled in a bit more. Um, but you're right, for him himself, he, he'd be in, entering the final year of his contract. And there's that question about, all the club going to commit to him long term? That'd have to be answered. Because it, it, you got the feeling when he was appointed, Abramovich himself wasn't sure. Mm. You know, like, is this guy the real deal? I mean, he knows how to organise a team. That I'll, I'll definitely say that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think they've been, as I say, they've been much more solid defensively. Not quite played with the same flair offensively. Uh, now the history of Roman Abramovich is he he settles for that for so long. And then he wants to win exciting games. Uh, and this is a man who's appointed, he's appointed Jose twice. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but he's also got rid of Jose twice, Dan. We have to remember that as well. Um, you know, and, and he's appointed Phil Scolari and Vilesh Boas. And, I mean, he's had a go at everybody, hasn't he? Ancelotti and Gussadink 17 times. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to know with the managerial situation in Chelsea. Yeah, I don't think Tuchel's under any immediate pressure, even if the next week goes badly. No. But I think in order to really solidify himself as a manager that Chelsea might be willing to commit slightly longer term to, 
he probably needs the next week to to go well. And I mean, and I mean, if Chelsea do win the Champions League as well, like here's your contract. I've signed it. Pick your length of contract. Pick your transfer budget. Pick your wage. It's probably yeah. Although the last manager to win the Champions League for Chelsea was out by Christmas. It was um, Roberto Di Matteo. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, and and I think you know there's a lot more luck about that run than there's been about this run. I think it, it's safe to say as well. So yeah, interesting times for Chelsea. They'll be really disappointed yesterday. They they will have seen that as an opportunity to win a trophy, and uh, they just weren't ultimately able to get it done. Paul, normally at this point of the podcast when we're kind of getting ready to wind things down, we talk about the Football League, but there's no Football League to talk about. <laughs> football League's been and gone, Dan. Um, obviously, the playoffs start on Monday night, uh, so I will be watching. I don't think you will. You're you're elsewhere on Monday. Ah, yes, I've been lucky enough to get um, a ticket for the St. Helens game on um, Monday night, but the games were delayed to get fans through the turnstiles, so I have to be there an hour and ten minutes before kickoff. Um, which is going to be a bit of a strange one for me. I'm normally one of these people who rocks up about in, into my seat. I'll get into the stadium early, but I normally um, go to my seat about 10 minutes before kickoff. Yeah. So it's going to be a, a bit of a weird one for me, but it's just going to be good to get back and uh, hold referees accountable for the decision-making. <laughs> uh, well, one thing I was... Sorry, unless there's something else you wanted to say. No, go on, Dan, uh, go so, ahead. One thing I was going to mention, just if you want to feel a bit old... And I know I certainly aged probably about 10 years during the match. It's 20 years today since Liverpool 5, Alaves 4. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That does, that does make it... It is crazy, isn't it? The, the passage of time is not... Yeah, not... Not quite as crazy as the game itself. Considering he was a man who had, let's just say, shall we say, uh, God love him, defensive principles, um, that was not a final I expected from a Gerard Houllier team. No, that was that the... So that must mean we're relatively close to that daylight robbery you committed against us in the cup final. Yeah, that was on, I believe, uh, Friday. I didn't want to mention that to you because I know when we do a podcast and we've got a topic and we want to talk about it, I'm going to say games that still annoy you, even though they've long gone. And I imagine that's top of yours. Oh, that was... I mean, uh, yeah, yes. I've, I've still never seen a more one-sided cup final. I mean, for 75 minutes, it was the Alamo. Uh, and Liverpool did literally have to use their hands to keep the ball out on numerous occasions. Uh, if there was VAR then, put it this way, Liverpool would have been 1-0 down and down to 10 men after about nine minutes. Um, yeah, Stafford so, uh, got very lucky. <laughs> so you can you can count your lucky stars, Dan, that the VAR was but a glint in FIFA's eye at that stage. I, I think the thing is, well, the, the first one was, was, difficult. It was, was difficult because I was behind that goal. And I didn't think it looked like handball. I thought it kind of brushed his shoulder. So like, I can I can understand that one. The second one was clear. Yeah, the second one he dragged it back. Yeah, I'm not 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 too sure how that was missed. But, uh, um, I think, but there we are. There I, we are. I think it, Arsenal have won was, the first year of FA Cup since. To be I fair. was going to say. I mean, we 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 that was the, the two things that made it. Until the second half, when the game picked up a bit. Yesterday didn't feel like an FA Cup final to me. Part of it was it was raining. Now, I, I can only remember one other FA Cup final where it poured down, and I was there, and it was the, the game we beat United on penalties, which was also the Alamo Man City, the other way. Man City we, nil Wigan won. It rained as did well. That, did it rain that day as yeah. well? I was in a pub in Shoreditch that day. Um, I wasn't really watching the game, I don't think. But the uh, 
the the Arsenal United game where I equally we got incredibly lucky that day. Um, there's no way we should have won that game and won it on penalties. It poured down that afternoon in Cardiff. Um, it rained yesterday. The other reason it didn't feel like a cup final is Arsenal weren't in it. Yeah, um, I I thought we were always in the cup final. What's happened? Yeah, it's we're not far with the FA Cup. Of just give it to Arsenal. <laughs> we've already determined the League Cup's pointless. Just give it to City. Obviously. Well, we're. we're we're, no doubt in a couple of years' time we'll get Chelsea in the final and beat them again. <laughs> I think one of, one of my favourite cup final goals, and it will never be as appreciated as much as it was, so as much as it should be because it was in front of no fans, was, was Aubameyang's finish last year. Yeah, it was what a great fi- finish. What a finish that was. And we should just say, Dan, I know I referenced it earlier, but it was great to see fans there yesterday and, and it was great to see the fans enjoying themselves. I, I mean, there were some Leicester fans, frankly, who were in tears during Abide With Me before the game, who <laughs> I think were, were kind of on the edge even before a ball had been kicked. Um, but it was great to have, I know it was only 20-odd thousand, but it was great to have fans in the stands for the cup final yesterday. And, um, you know, let's hope that, We'll get some in in the next week or so for the last couple of rounds of the Premier League. But let's hope that when we kick off the, the new Premier League season in in August, we've got, if not very, if not you know, capacity, very close to capacity crowds in um, in our stands because the game is just better with fans. A little bit of information for you. Um, I know that uh, Bolton are legislating to have fifty percent capacity in August. Yeah. And that sounds to me like a relatively sensible approach. Aim for about half capacity to start the season and then let's try and increase it as we go. When we've got the data and we're able to track people who've been to games and we know where the cases are arising from from individual matches, I think we should be cautious. But I think we should be really hoping that that we can have, yeah, pretty close to capacity crowds in in grounds next year. And... um, and get back to having those atmospheres that we've all missed. I mean, the canned crowd noise has been okay, given the circumstances, but I won't miss it. <laughs> I hope I never have to listen to it again, frankly. I, my, my theory, and it's probably a controversial one, and also at the same time too sensible for the authorities to consider, let's just agree for a season, no away fans. Let's just have a season off away fans and build the capacity up. Yeah, that wouldn't be the worst idea, Dan. It I mean, wouldn't be the worst idea. I mean, don't get me wrong, we can extend that ban indefinitely for Manchester United and Everton. <laughs> we can we, we can re- we can do that by all means. Um, but yeah, re- realistically, that would be the sensible way to do it, I think. No away fans. And then you're also limiting as well, aren't you, from the government's perspective, you're limiting the amount of people who are travelling cross-country every Saturday. Well, 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 that's it. I mean, are, are we going to have a fixture-by-fixture kind of calculation of, right, okay, and I'm not just singling Bolton out, I just know that it's a high area for this this Indian variant that we're currently experiencing. If yeah. that's still around in August, are we going to say, right, well, Bolton's in this area, therefore we're not having any Bolton fans? Yeah. Or, or, you know, like, Bolton has to play behind closed doors, you know, like, where does this begin and end? And that, for me, is why it would be a sensible idea to not have away fans. I'm, I'm not just saying that because I don't like away fans. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes it is. <laughs> um, I'll be completely honest. Sometimes it's not. It's just a, 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 like we have to be pragmatic about these things. It's not. You know, you would have to make a fixture by fixture on a team by team 
basis. You, you would need to. That's how you need to figure it out. Otherwise, yeah, I agree. I think I think there's a lot of merit in it. There's an idea to to again, at least for the start of the season. Um, while we're still feeling our way through, it, it would be a a sensible, pragmatic move. I think sensible and pragmatic don't go hand in hand with either the EFL or the Premier League. So I would expect nothing. I mean, it's worth saying as well, Dan, we we will have the data that we get from fans attending games in the Euros uh, during the summer, um, which, you know, uh, it still seems at this stage as though we're, we're going to have various countries. Yeah, in game. I mean, I mean we, we were sure that the kind of intergalactic nature of the, um, the Euros was going to fall short, but it, it doesn't look like it's going to do. No, it looks as though we're going full steam ahead with limited crowds, but crowds nonetheless. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously we we've heard this week that they've not they're not going to bring the Champions League final to the UK. It's going to be in Portugal again. Um, not good as Mark. And the yeah, and the reason not good as Mark sadly, and the reason they've given for that is basically that they think um, the the restrictions that the UK government has on on entrance of people from abroad and quarantine wouldn't be lifted for the various delegates from. UEFA and FIFA and the TV networks from all around the world. And so they'd have to come in two weeks in advance and, and go through the quarantine process. Now, I don't know how they're intending to get around that for the Euros and whether those arrangements are already in place, but it does does seem slightly uh, slightly odd. Um, yeah, I know they've made a few tweaks, haven't they? I think they've said that Dublin, for example, I don't think there's going to be games... In Dublin, is there? Or there certainly isn't going to be as many games in Dublin as there was. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, should be um, an interesting few weeks ahead. Anyway, uh, we, we're not too sure when our um, next episode is going to be. We think it's, we, it might it might well be next Monday, um, but we're going to be previewing the the Premier League season. Uh, we'll have a look at the. The, 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 reviewing. Sorry, yes, reviewing. Yes, we don't want to be start pre- previewing <laughs> things before they finish, do we? Um, and we'll also be taking a look at the Euros. I think we'll do a separate show for the Euros, though. That, that could be a two long shows, and we don't want to combine it into one massively overly long show. Um, I'd just like to remind you all that the Big Football Podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. If you click the subscribe button. That will be automatically delivered to your device and you can give it a listen and get yourself hyped for the Euros. I've got more hype for the Euros than I have the end of the Premier League season. That's how confident I am about Liverpool's chances. Um, and yeah, it's uh, the end of another episode, Paul. Yeah, indeed. Have a good week, everybody. Yeah, enjoy your week ahead, everyone. And I will catch you again after a while. <laughs>